0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Good. It is, um, it is turning fall, which I love. I like fall-scented candles and... I like football. And um so I'm pretty stoked about fall season. Maybe we should start singing It's always like fall time with you. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. That's like time where leaves die and stuff, so <laughs> not super not super prophetic, but whatever. Um so I I want to you want to hear a cool story real quick? I have a little bit more time this service, so I'm going to take it. But yesterday, this is just, God's cool. It's little and it's small, but God's awesome. So yesterday I was driving with Judd and we were helping Brandon move. And we were driving down the road off 14 and and for whatever reason, um, Judd, Judd prayed and he was just like, Lord, can we just see some deer? That's all he said. And, um, and so we... We, pulled, we were driving and then he pulled into this church parking lot to show me um, this trail he used to walk on. I don't super random. And out pops a doe and literally, I'm not exaggerating, it was probably 25 seconds after we prayed the prayer. Like no exaggeration. And then two little fawns and they were so young they had spots on them. So when I go hunting this year, I'll be asking God to see lots of deer. And I will kill them. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm super stoked about the fall time and um, and just what God's doing in this house. It's it's so fun to see and to be a part of. So um, before I get started, I, yesterday when I was preparing, I, I just came up to the church in the office and um, was just praying through the service today. And I felt like God asked me, "How many note takers do we have in the room? Any?" Okay, awesome. So I'm gonna ask you to do something, and that's not take notes. I there's nothing wrong with taking notes. When I first got born again, you know that was the thing to do. It was like you, you buy your moleskin journal and note, note, note. And then I realized I'm not learning or grasping anything. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying for me. So I'd never take notes unless God asks me to. So I'm asking you if you would, because there's some things in the spirit that are taught. And then there's things that are just caught. When you just sit and, and your spirit just catches something. And it, it's not so much with your mind. Your spirit just catches it. And I felt like the Lord was like, I want them to catch what I'm speaking to them today. So, and it's a good thing to be stretched. It's a good thing to say, God, maybe, maybe I should change the way I worship. Maybe, I should, maybe, I'm, maybe, maybe you're stretching the tent pegs of my spirit, if you will, on what church looks like. What does it look like for me to hear a sermon? What does it look like for me to worship you? What does it look like for me to tithe and to give? I'm, I'm always asking him, God, just stretch me. Just, just expand my capacity of what you want to do in my life. So anyways, I just ask that you would put your pens and paper down and let's just see what God does, okay? So I want to talk to you today about the goodness of God. And living from a place of the goodness of God. So, how many how many people in here? You know that heaven is actually a culture. It, it's it's not just a place that you go when you die. It is that, but it's actually a culture. And in the book of Isaiah six, it says that Jesus, it's it's prophesying about the Messiah who is Jesus, and it says that he's coming and he has a government upon his shoulders. And so what does that mean? Well, what it means is I'm bringing a way of life that the world has never seen. I'm bringing a kingdom reality and a culture that when you step into my kingdom, these are the, the, this is the way you live your life. So Isaiah 6 talks about heaven um, resting upon Jesus' shoulders. And then we read in Matthew 5 that Jesus says, you've been taught this way, but I say this. Right. You remember reading those those things. It's you've heard this, but I say this, you've learned this, but I say this. And what he was saying is he said, you've been taught this way by both the law and the world, but I am establishing a new thing. Isaiah also talks about the Lord doing a new thing in your life. And I believe for many of you in the room that God's about to do a new thing in your life that I'm actually, I'm actually hoping that today that there would be something deposited on the inside of you that a new thing would be birthed in this next season of your life. So, um, again, I, I want to explore the goodness of God. And um, the kingdom in, in, in and of itself, it's upside down, it's inside out. There, there's nothing on the earth that looks like the kingdom of heaven. That's why we have to be born again and we renew our mind because we start to think the way God thinks. And the kingdom of heaven is meant to do one thing. It's to establish in the hearts of people that there's a Father in heaven who loves them and is who's good. That's the entire point of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus told us to pray about. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's meant to do one thing. It's meant to establish in the hearts of people that there's a Father in heaven who loves them and He's good. Okay? So, um, if you would, turn your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 33. It's interesting. I Actually, last time I spoke, I spoke out of this chapter as well. I didn't realize that until last night. <clears throat> but... I'm, I'm just fascinated by the life of Moses. I'm fascinated by the intimacy that Moses had with God um, in an old covenant. It just so excites me because I believe that I can have that and greater because I live in a new covenant. I just believe it. So Exodus chapter um, 33, 18 through 23. Um, Moses is up on the mountain. And it says that Moses responded, Then show me your glorious presence. And then the Lord replied, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. I will call out my name Yahweh before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, Look, stand near me on this rock, As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. So Moses's relationship with God is the first time we see that Moses is asked to see his glory and God says, I'm going to show you my goodness. So we, that's the first time that we learn in Scripture that God's glory and goodness coexist. They're the same thing and they cannot be separated. You cannot have the glory of God without the goodness of God. And you cannot have the goodness of God without the glory of God. That It, it just is who He is. And so we, we see in this that I think it's so fascinating that Moses says, God, show me your glory. And the Father speaks to him he says, I will, and I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. And he says, but you won't be able to see it fully. So the goodness of God is so bright, bright, it's so blindingly bright. It's so magnificent in nature that God actually says, if you were to look at this, all of my goodness in the fullness of who I am, be smoked," He says, so I'll let you, I'll hide you in the rock. I'll cover you with my hand and you'll see my back, but you won't see my face. How many of you know if, if you're going to go out, that might be the way to do it. I wouldn't mind if one day when I'm laying in a casket and you're all staring at my beautiful body and they say, he died because he was smoked by the glory and goodness of God. I think if there's going to be a way to go out, it might be that. I don't know. But I think it's so fascinating that God doesn't say, I'm going to make my power pass before you. Or my might. Or my voice that's a roaring thunder. Or even my wrath. I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to pass my goodness in front of you. And Moses, if you saw all of it, you couldn't even take it. Your body would explode. Because I'm that good. I'm that good. So Moses has such an outstanding encounter with the goodness of God that when he was in public, we'll read later, he actually had to veil his face. He actually had to veil his face. And there. If you think about this encounter, it almost borderlines fantasy, right? Like God's up on a mountain. I mean, God, yeah, he is. And then Moses is with him, and he hides in a rock. It's like something you kind of read out of a J.R.R. Tolkien book or something. But it's the Bible. But it's reality. And it almost comes across as too good to be true. It's like, wait a minute. You're telling me that God met with Moses and said, you know what? I'll, I'll make my goodness shine before you and his goodness was so bright that Moses actually couldn't see all of it? Yeah. That's what happened. And I heard a saying one time, and it says this. It's pretty pessimistic, to be honest. But it says, it's a worldly saying. It says, if it's too good to be true, somebody's getting conned. And I think in the kingdom, if it's not too good to be true, it's not God. God. If it's not too good to be true, it's just not fully God. Because the gospel, in and of itself, actually means the too good to be true news. The gospel is so outstandingly beautiful and outrageously uncomprehendable, it's too good to be true. But guess what? It's true. When's the last time you had an encounter with the goodness of God that was too good to be true? When's the last time you didn't just read about Moses? I love it. You didn't just read about some Christian author's book, but you personally had an encounter with the goodness of God that so marked you that your face shone with the glory of God. I want to challenge you today and and express to you that you are actually called. It's not okay as a born-again believer to not have those experiences. It's just not. Because guess what? The Lord says, seek my face. Moses was seeking his face. He wasn't seeking his hand. He said, God, show me your glory. I want to know you. And guess what happened? The goodness of God came. And the goodness of God changed him to a point where he had to put a veil over his face when he was talking. And 2 Corinthians says that we actually become what we behold. It's talking about this. So there's a place in experiencing God where you become what it is that you behold. So as you're staring at the goodness of God, you actually become a vessel carrying the goodness of God. It becomes who you are. I love that we, we preach here to deny yourself. That you, if any man should come after me, he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But how many of you know it's, you deny yourself unto something? You don't just crush your flesh just to crush your flesh. You actually say, okay, I'm denying myself and I'm stepping in here. Who is it that I'm called to be God? How am I supposed to act? This government that you brought on your shoulders, this kingdom that I'm now a part of, how are the citizens of this kingdom supposed to act? And I'd like to suggest to you today that at the core of everything that's in a born-again believer living in the kingdom who has denied their self is this, the goodness of God. Because it's the goodness of God that Romans says leads man to repentance. Repentance. It's that there's a father in heaven who's kind, he's loving, and he's good. We read, I'm actually not going to read this chapter because I've kind of already touched on it, but you can skip over to Exodus 34 and we see that Moses comes down the mountain and again his his face is veiled. Because he, he, he saw God's goodness and it actually began to get into the pores of his skin. And he had to veil his face when he came down the mountain. And when he comes down the mountain, we realize that the goodness of God actually changes people. It changed the demeanor. It changed actually who Moses was. It changed him. It's supposed to change you. The goodness of God is supposed to mark you in a way that the people around you say, look at that guy. Look at that woman. I'm not saying your face may physically shine. It may. I've, I've been around people when I've gone away for a time and spent some time with the Lord. And when they see me later, I say, you look different. You ever had that? I've actually seen people where they have this glow to them because they've spent intimate time with the Lord. And they've realized Heaven's getting on that person. There's a realm that's getting on that person that isn't this world. It's another world. It's another place. It's a kingdom that I may not be familiar with, but whatever they have, I want it. We see in the Psalms that David actually had encounters with the goodness of God. And I said through David's outrageous encounters with God, even in the Old Testament visitation culture, you do realize that that David, Moses, all the people in the Old Testament, they don't have what you have. Because they lived in a visitation culture and we now live in a habitation culture. What do I mean by that? In the visitation culture, the presence of God would come and go. That's why you would see Saul. That's why you would see David. They'd say, Lord, please take not your spirit from me. But in a habitation culture, he says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Why? Because we live in a covenant that's far greater than the one of old. And if Moses's face would shine with the goodness of God, how much more is your life supposed to shine with the goodness of God? In a covenant that was old, that was inferior to the one we walk in now, how much more is your life supposed to shine with the goodness of God? In David's life, we see in Psalm, um, I believe it's 23, verse 6. He had such outrageous encounters with the goodness of God that marked his life. You read through the Psalms and it's this up and down thing. It's David going back and forth and he's, he's just very, he just goes through life. But he says this one thing, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because he had encountered the goodness of God. And he knew one thing, that if I can hold on to the goodness of God and if I become what I behold, then it will keep me. Turn with me to your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Jesus is speaking and he says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer them your shirt as well. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid, then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the most high God, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. The level of goodness that Jesus is talking about right here transcends everything. It is the culture of heaven. When Jesus says, turn your other cheek, it's not just a a cute picture of what happens when you're ripped off in a Starbucks line. What he's actually saying is when you get punched in the face and you follow me, what you do is you turn the other cheek and you forgive. It's not just a, a cute parable. It's actually what it looks like to say, I'm following Jesus I'm laying my life down for the goodness of God. And I believe that if I step and I choose into the goodness of God and I behold who it is that's made me in his goodness, this is how I will act. This is how I will respond. Will you be taken advantage of? Absolutely. Will you be abused? Probably. Will people use you? Yeah. But how many of you know the goodness of God will actually keep you and protect you? And you're not doing things to get a response. You're doing things because it's the heart of God. You're living in goodness because you believe that the goodness of God is all that matters in life. When you live in a place of goodness, being abused, being taken advantage of, you name it, None of those things even concern you because all you're concerned about is doing good. That's all you're concerned about is living and loving like the God who made you and who you've fallen intimately, passionately in love with. You're called to love God more than you love your spouse. You are. I don't know about you, but that's kind of sometimes an ooey-gooey, sloppy love. You're called to that. You're called to be so enthralled with the love of God that it says, I'm going to do good. Why? Because he has made me in my new nature to become good. And all I'm doing is I'm learning what it looks like to be like Jesus. I'm learning what it looks like to walk in a heaven culture on this earth. I'm learning what it looks like to walk in the footsteps of my Messiah because it's the way he lived his life. Acts chapter 10 says that Jesus went around and and they're talking about what Jesus did. It says he healed the sick and he did good. It's who Jesus was. He was the perfect representation of the invisible God. And he was good. And when you do good, you don't have... The ability anymore to choose who gets good. Who gets the goodness of God. It's not about looking at someone's life or their past or their failures and saying, you know what? I think they deserve good. They've kind of cleaned up a little bit. So I'm going to extend goodness to them. No. Or I'm going to bless them financially because i know that they'll steward this well all you're called to do is be obedient to be good and loving to people i i remember years ago i went i used to spend a lot of time every saturday david pearson and blake yoder who's in new york now we we lived together and we would go to this waffle house uh, pretty much every saturday on stone on stone and um I, we began to build relationships with the Waffle House waitresses and the cooks. And we knew everybody in the Waffle House. How I many of you know that's probably a good thing? If you frequent somewhere enough and you're a born-again believer, maybe talk to people. Be kind to people. Get to know people. Ask them how they're doing. And so we got to know Miss, Miss Shirley and Miss Hannah and Shorty the cook and and, and just all these different amazing people, and most of them didn't know God. And Jesus would come up. But oftentimes we talk about Otis Redding and the music they like to listen to and just laugh with them and love with them and sometimes cry with them. Honestly, they would sit down and just, here's my problems, and we'd be like, whoa. <laughs> we'd hug them and we'd love them. And one day we went <coughs> and... The Lord spoke to us, all three of us separately, about giving one of the waitresses some, some money. And for, for her sake, I'll say her name was Sarah. It's not her name. <clears throat> and we had built a relationship with Sarah. And she was this awesome um, young lady. And she had some little kids. And she didn't know Jesus. And we knew that. And she knew that we knew that. But we weren't afraid of her. We weren't offended by her. and We didn't hide away and not spend time with her and love her. Do you know that Jesus actually spent so much time with sinners and gluttons that they called him one? They called him one. It says that Jesus made himself of no reputation. So he wasn't afraid of what the religious Pharisees of the day were going to say. He just loved people. And he brought into every situation the goodness of God. He brought the goodness of God. So we're sitting at this Waffle House and we get in the car and we're like, dude, we got to do something. Everybody was like, yeah, yeah, no. Like, we just, Christmas was coming up and so we prayed. And we all prayed separately about how much money we should actually give her. And we said, we all came to the same conclusion, $250 each. So it'd be 750 bucks. At that time, I mean, still now, that's a lot of money for me. And, um, but we went to our different banks. We withdrew the money and we put it in an envelope and we came back and we're like, hey, Sarah. You know, she, you, you know Waffle House has all those windows. Get out here. So she comes out and she's like, hey guys, what are y'all doing? Hey, we, we just, we heard from the Lord. From our father and he's he's really really good and we wanted to give you something she didn't even look at the envelope she didn't even look at what was inside of it and she began to weep and weep and weep and we prayed for her and we said this is not from us it's from a father who is in heaven who says that he loves you he's for you And she, in that moment, encountered the goodness of God. How many of you know that we didn't judge Sarah by her past? By how she was going to spend the money? We didn't choose that. It's not up to us to choose who gets goodness. Everyone deserves goodness. Why? Because it's the commandment of God. And to be honest, we found out later that she probably didn't spend the money as wisely as I would have liked. How many of you know that there was a seed that was planted on the inside of Sarah? There was goodness that was bestowed upon her that I believe is going to produce mighty fruit in her life. And she moved away, and I haven't seen her in many years. But I'm believing that when I get to heaven, I'll see Sarah. Sarah. Because there's a God in heaven who's good towards her, who's loving towards her, who's kind towards her. True disciples are obsessed with giving goodness away, it is the disposition of any believer. A true disciple of Jesus. Every moment of every day is looking at any situation and saying, "God, how can I give your goodness away to this person?" Or, "How is your goodness going to affect me today in this situation?" So what if from now on what it is that you're beholding is simply just the goodness of God? What if the situation you are in, it isn't about the situation anymore? It's just about how God's goodness is going to break through. I, God asked me to touch on this a little bit, and I'm, I'm not a big spiritual warfare guy. I just kind of do spiritual warfare by going to sleep because I know who I am, and I know who He is for me. And there's times to pray in tongues and do all that stuff. But 95% of spiritual warfare is the enemy... <laughs> whispering in your ear trying to distract you from what it is you're actually supposed to be looking at. I, I talk to a lot of people and I hear, you know, Jesus is good, He's amazing, and they, they love God. But every time they end their sentence with how amazing God is, they always got to say, but I'll tell you this, the devil's real. Or I'll tell you this, it doesn't mean we don't go through trials. What? what? Why are you even saying that? Who cares? I don't mean that in an insensitive way, but he's a cut off withering branch. Why do I even need to acknowledge him? I'm focused on the goodness of God. And no matter what the trial is in my life, whether it's you want to get married or you need a new house or you need a new job. What if you looked at it and said, awesome? Because guess what? Now it's time for God to show his goodness off now is an opportunity for the goodness of God to be manifested in my life. I don't care what the situation is or what the impossibility is. Get your eyes off the devil. Get your eyes off the storm. Quit singing over your situation. And praise the Lord for His goodness. 95% of the time, the enemy is just wanting to wear you out. He wants you to get all riled up and bind and loose and shakaraba and and i've done that there's time for that but i think most of the time he just wants you hey look at me he's such an egotistical maniac hey look at me look 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 at me will you look at me look at me nah you don't get time of day i don't have time for that cars broke down awesome god's gonna do something great I had a friend call me a few months ago, and his house was, he had some situations with his house and money and finances and stuff, and, and I listened to him. I wasn't insensitive. I said, man, so that stinks. I said, but guess what? You got the God of the universe on your side. So we left the conversation, and we hung up the phone, and guess what our disposition was? The goodness of God is going to show off. The goodness of God is going to be on display today because that's who He is. doesn't matter how much I need. It doesn't matter my finances. My perspective is one thing, the goodness of God. doesn't mean times aren't hard. But man, what if we could grasp that as a people? What if we could understand that the goodness of God is what we behold? And if we behold it, we become it. And if we become it, we can give it away to people. That is, I believe, is how nations are discipled in a day. The Bible says in the end times that nations will come to know God in a day. That's pretty wild. Imagine America, the entire country of America, in one day, every single person following Jesus and not just confessing a prayer, but actually saying this right here, I'm giving my life to follow this Messiah. How does that happen? I believe through the goodness of God. I am fully convinced that it's the goodness of God that will disciple nations in a day. And all he's looking for is people that will say, God, I just behold you. I ask for encounters with your spirit, literal encounters, not just figurative things. I ask to know you in a way that is so intimate, God, that my face will shine with the goodness of the Lord. And that in every situation, what doesn't come out of me is wrath, anger, hatred, and malice but what comes out of me is the goodness of god the mercy of god the kindness of god just because the enemy's showing up doesn't mean you need to fight him i'll leave that there and you don't fight him on his terms Christ said, um, Paul says that we're actually seated in heavenly places. 189 times, Paul says, you are now in Christ. That's where you fight from. And a lot of times that looks like just going to bed, saying, thank you, Jesus, that you have this. I'm going to go take a nap. I promise you, he's more, he's more concerned about your well-being than you are. So what if the trial that you're facing or the challenge or whatever isn't about the challenge anymore? It's just about how the goodness of God's going to show up in your life. What if that is the stance and the disposition that you take now? It's not about the problem anymore. It's just about how good God's going to be to your situation. I don't know. I like that. The last thing I want to touch on is, is an incredible story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And the story, if you want to turn there, it's, it's um, Luke chapter 19. Hold on. Where is it? Chapter 9. It's 9? 19. Okay, yeah. I thought I got it right. So this is a story of Jesus entering the city of Jericho, and it says that a large crowd is following him. And there's this little rat in the city named Zacchaeus. Okay? He's not... He's not a very good guy. He's a tax collector, and he's ripped off everybody. And he's a wee little man, so he scurries up a tree to see Jesus. I think he probably also scurries up the tree because he just wants to get away from other people that probably want to punch him in the face. He's a tax collector. He ripped off everybody. And Jesus is coming through, and there's all these people gathered around him. And Jesus walks up to the tree and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to to have a sleepover at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus, like, Me? It's like, Yeah, you're the one. I I want to stay with you tonight. Okay. Absolutely. Pause right there. How many know Jesus wasn't looking at Zacchaeus' life? He wasn't judging him. He wasn't saying, Oh yeah, he he fits all right. He's good enough. He's good enough for my goodness. He's done well enough. He's done well enough for my financial blessing to pour out upon him. He's done well enough for my loving kindness and my mercy. No. He just says, you're worthy of my goodness. Every person you come into contact with is worthy of the goodness of God. I don't care how messed up their life is. I've stood before a bunch of sketchy people. And guess what? They're worthy of the goodness of God. Because it says that all men have fallen short. Of the glory of God. Remember, glory and goodness. It can't be separated. So maybe they've fallen short of the glory of God just because they haven't seen the goodness that's chasing them down. So he looks at Zacchaeus and he's like, Zacchaeus, come down here. I'm going to read this. And he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down And took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Again, Jesus wasn't concerned with his reputation. He wasn't concerned with what people were going to say. Why are you hanging out with that dirt bag? Because that's what they were saying. All he was concerned about was the goodness of God being displayed in Zacchaeus' life. And watch what happens they said he had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. See, the king walked through the city of Jericho and his goodness followed. And he brought his goodness to Zacchaeus. And the goodness of God then transferred on to Zacchaeus. Jesus didn't say one word to him. And he said, Lord, your goodness is so radiant. I got to do something. I got to give this away. So he says, the people that I stole from, I'll give four times as much back to them. How many of you know that the goodness of God in that moment so touched Zacchaeus that he actually, the economy of the city of Jericho, was completely changed because of the goodness of God. The entire economy of the city was changed because Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give away more than I even stole. So everybody in the town hit the lottery because the goodness of God was on display. Can you uh, put yourself in the situation? You're you're cooking dinner. You're sitting with your wife and she just put the kids down and you hear a knock on the door. You open the door and you look down because he's a wee little man. And it's Zacchaeus. And the first thing in your heart is, oh, my gosh, this dirt bag, this rat. What do you want? And Zacchaeus looks at you and says, hey, hey, man, um, so I, I don't know if you saw, but, but Jesus came. Yeah, I saw that. What the heck? Why was he with you? Well, I, I don't know, but but I just, I just he's just amazing. And, and he showed me kindness and goodness. And it just, it so gripped my heart, I just had to give you this. And he hands you a bag and you, you take the bag and you're like, what's it, full of cockroaches and rocks? But you hear a, a jingle in there you look inside, and there's a whole bunch of coins. There's a whole bunch of money. And you look at Zacchaeus, and you're like, why are, you, why are you doing this? He said, because the goodness of God has changed my life. Because Jesus, when I follow him, my only disposition is to love and to bring goodness to people and you take the bag, and you thank him, but you're still in shock, and you go back inside, and your wife comes in, and she just fed the children in their bed, and who was that? It was Zacchaeus. Oh, that rat. No, there was something different about him. He he, he said he walked with Jesus, and Jesus marked him, and He said he was compelled to to give us this, and you show her the bag, and she just begins to weep. The entire city of Jericho was marked by the goodness of God because Zacchaeus became what he beheld. And the person that was intimate with him, that called him out of the tree, didn't judge him by his life, and Zacchaeus didn't judge the people he was going to pay back. There's probably people that didn't deserve to get their money back. Because who knows, they may have killed somebody to get the money. But Zacchaeus says, no, the goodness of God leads man to repentance. And I am now a disciple of that person, Jesus. And heaven declares over me that what I'm called to do is to love people. I just want to charge you today. And I'll close up with this. I just want to encourage you that no one's safe from the goodness of God. No one in your life is safe. Maybe that boss you have that's real annoying, he's there for a reason. Why? Because now you can see how the goodness of God's going to be on display in your life. Maybe that coworker that you're angry with or that annoys you a lot. Zacchaeus was pretty annoying, I believe. Everyone didn't like him. I don't know anyone who everyone doesn't like. But it said that the entire mob said, why is he going with that sinner? Maybe they're in your life so that you can see what it looks like to show the goodness of God to them. Maybe they're in your life because you say, you know what? I know the world says I'm going to get trampled on. I know the world says that kindness is going to get me run over. I know that the world says that, you know, I need to be a good steward of what I'm doing. But Jesus has a different way. And Jesus leads me to love people beyond what my intellect can take me. Beyond what the the wisdom of this world can hold. And all I'm called to do is to lay my life down in love and in goodness to people. And if this church, man, if we could grasp this concept, that you are now an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven and goodness is what you're called to show. So you're called to mark people with goodness. Your situations now flow. And what's going to be on display is the goodness of God. So everything is wrapped up in the goodness of God. A few more scriptures and then we'll go. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Will you be misunderstood? For sure. My own family doesn't understand me sometimes when I make decisions. I'm not living for a response. I'm not living so even they'll change. I'm just living because the king is worthy to be on display in my life. And Jesus and his goodness is worthy to be shown. I'm not living for responses from people. I'm living because he has mandated me to be an ambassador of goodness and kindness and love. 1 Peter 3.13 says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? His goodness will protect you. His goodness will keep you. So I'm going to pray for us. And I I just ask that we would so grasp the heartbeat of God. I just ask you, Jesus, that we would grab your heart in love and in goodness and kindness. God, that we, we've denied ourselves and we're now sons and daughters of the kingdom. So I ask that our position in you, Lord, would be this. Show us who it is that we are. Show us what it is, God, to walk in your kindness and to display goodness like the world has never seen. I thank you, Lord, that you are goodness, that you you are the one that actually takes care of having the ability to give. All we have to do is to know you. All we have to do, God, is to rest our head on your chest. And we can be a people, God, that display the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God, that we may have been angry and bitter and our disposition of old used to be to to take people for granted and And to judge everyone, God. But you say it's not our job to judge who deserves goodness. It's just our job to give it away. I thank you, Lord, that we're becoming such free people through this amazing, incredible gospel. Free people to live as Jesus has called us to live free people to walk in the footsteps of our beautiful King Jesus. And all you ever did, Jesus, was love. All you ever did was show goodness to people. And God, may fear never rule us as we sang today. Fear of what people are going to think or fear of how they respond or fear of being abused or taken advantage of because we know, Lord, it'll happen. But we're not afraid of it because we believe that the goodness of God is greater than anything we can face. I thank you, Lord, for this house. I thank you for all that you're doing. And I ask for supernatural encounters, God, that everyone who leaves this church will ask to seek your face, to see your glory and be changed by goodness. We love you, sweet Jesus. I love you, my beloved. And I'm so thankful that I get to follow someone that's so different from this world. In Jesus' name.